I'm Brett Tomlinson, the digital editor of the Princeton Alumni Weekly. And I am Greg Lang of the great class of 1970, who really should know better. <laughs> and welcome to the 10th and final episode of Going Backstory. I'm going to pull back the curtain a bit as we as we wrap up this podcast series on, on Princeton history. Uh, Greg and I record remotely by Skype, so when you hear the occasional... Uh, awkward pause or when we talk over each other that unfortunately comes with the territory but I think over the last year we've we've navigated that relatively well and it's it's been a lot of fun uh, talking Princeton history with you today we're gonna we're gonna try something a little bit different instead of talking about the past we're gonna talk about sort of about the future and the present specifically we're gonna look at the current or the you know the recently ended academic year at Princeton 2016-17 and try to uh, predict which news stories will be things that, that people remember years from now and and Greg well, we we both love sports I know I know you have uh, one uh, teed up right away on the on the sports front that you think will be a, a uh, historic uh, milestone on, on the uh, on the hardwood well I sort of wanted to short circuit people calling in and telling us we were completely out of our minds by not including the Ivy basketball playoffs. So we'll include the Ivy basketball playoffs, the first ones, um, which um, uh, were both extremely successful, I think, on the women's side, um, where by complete happenstance, they came down to being played on the court of the uh, league's championship team, the Penn Quakers, uh, who who also won the tournament um, uh, in a in a good game with the Princeton Tigers, who were then running out of steam, having um, really uh, stretched their talent uh, to the breaking point almost over the entire last third of the season, and made it into the tournament on fumes and uh, played very well, but. Um, uh, we're not as good as Penn. Uh, where meanwhile, on the men's side, since the tournament had been pre-designated uh, at the Palestra, became almost a complete disaster as a really mediocre six and eight Penn team, uh, which had barely gotten into the tournament by finishing fourth on the last weekend of the year, almost upset Princeton in the first round. Uh, the Tigers won in overtime and then went on to beat Yale, um, uh, pointing up strengths and weaknesses of doing this on a lot of different levels almost instantaneously. Uh, there were all kinds of mediocre arguments on both sides as to whether or not to have the tournament in the first place. The main reason to have one was that every other league had one, which, of course, as any Ivy League Philosophy 101 student knows is a terrible reason to do anything. And um, uh, we uh, persevered through the first year. Uh, obviously, the location in a predetermined site of a league team, uh, in this case Penn, uh, was a terrible idea. Um, a predetermined location is not a bad idea. Um, having it at the home court of the league champion, one for the men and one for the women, is not a bad idea, but somehow trying to combine them is a fiasco. Um, and I think in sort of a weird attempt 
to justify their mediocre decision after the fact, the powers that be decided to repeat it next year, um, which I think is going to cause a fair amount of consternation elsewhere, but we'll let that go. Uh, the Ivy Tournament will obviously continue uh, long after Brett and I are gone, and um, uh, that may be good and it may be bad. It's certainly something the kids can plan for. It's something the coaches can coach toward. Uh, the idea was to get uh, more than one Ivy team uh, into the NCAAs, um, which it's not going to accomplish that except in extremely rare instances. In other cases, as it would have this year if Penn had won the Ivy Tournament instead of Princeton's 13-seed uh, thir- or 12-seed, Brett? Uh, I believe they were a 12. 12 this year. Uh, instead of Princeton's 12-seed, Penn would have gotten a 16-seed and been lucky to get that, and Princeton would have not made the tournament because they were seeded lower than any of the other at large picks. So um, you learn lessons from these things. Obviously, you learn slowly, uh, but but that's my uh, uh, that's my kickoff, as it were. Well, I don't know. I, I I don't think that is changing. I think you you've come to that realization too. But uh, yeah, certainly Princeton fans had had a lot of uh, reasonable gripes about the way that worked out. Um, the the sports item that I wanted to mention was just how remarkable uh, this senior class was, especially on the the women's side. Um, partly because of uh, a couple of athletes who took a year off to uh, compete in the Olympics. Ashley Johnson was uh, the the women's water polo water polo goalie was was rightfully the athlete of the year. But she to to win that award, she beat out two. Uh, All-American lacrosse players, uh, the captain of a Final Four field hockey team, uh, an NCAA champion fencer, another fencer who had been an Olympian and an NCAA uh, runner-up, women's soccer's all-time leading scorer, uh, uh, two-time Ivy Player of the Year from the volleyball team, uh, a a first-team All-American in ice hockey, and, of course, uh, a former... NCAA hammer throw champion. So, wow. I mean, what a class. Uh, it's going to be a long... And uh, and lacrosse, too. Yes. I, I mean... Uh, it just goes on and on it's, and on. It's, 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 it's a... Um, it's going to be a long time before we see another class like the, the class of 2017 uh, in Princeton uh, athletics in general and, and, and particularly on, on the women's side. Um, moving on from that, I, I, I mean, I think one of the obvious national stories is the presidential election and the aftermath of that. Uh, Princeton students were very active. There, there, was, there was kind of a surge in student activism after the election, uh, students speaking out on immigration, participating in the Women's March and the March for Science. The, the students held a, a day of action on campus, which included... Uh, teach-ins and, and writing letters to members of Congress. And uh, President Icegruber also issued statements regarding Princeton's view as, as an institution on, on immigration policy. And, and th- so this is not a single event or a single story, but, but kind of a, a trend. And, and, of course, Princeton was not unique in its activism. But I do think it will be seen in the future as a 
a notable point on the the timeline of campus activism at, at Princeton. I think the particularly those those few months immediately following the the election. And of course, uh, I'm a child of the '60s, which, if you count backwards from '70, you can figure out. Um, and um, uh, I mean, I've seen activism of all weird sorts over the years. Uh, have written about it a few times um, in Rally Around the Cannon, and. Um, uh, I must say that there's been a lot of positive aspects to a lot of the things that have been done. Um, in my uh, in my old personal tradition, I wouldn't have minded more uh, in some areas and maybe even less in other areas, but you, you can't be too picky. Um, uh, but the main thing is to get people into the ideas of keeping these things at the top of their minds and not taking them for granted, whether it has to do um, with uh, fine-tuning Princeton's motto, which uh, the new version of which uh, Brett uh, can now uh, recite (laughs) accurately, which is In the nation's service and the service of humanity, and it is literally... Set in stone in front of Nassau Hall. That, that was that was another thing that happened this year in October. That phraseology is is courtesy of our good friend um, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the the idea um, that those uh, imperatives have to uh, apply. Uh, on a on a continuing and conscious basis is is always a really good thing uh, to keep in mind, especially um, as as students are wending their way through all kinds of personal issues and individual academic challenges and everything else that goes on as either an undergraduate or a grad student. Um, I mean this this extends all the way up to. Um, the uh, the renaming issues that came up um, uh, first uh, as a result of the the Black Justice League uh, sit-ins a year ago, um, but have continued on through this year with naming committees, both uh, working with the CPUC and with the trustees, the renaming of West College in honor of Toni Morrison, the renaming of the Dodds Auditorium um, in Robertson Hall for Arthur Lewis, uh, and if I might say so, the the fact that nothing major on campus had been named for Arthur Lewis until now is just absolutely appalling. Um, uh, While uh, uh, Dodds name uh, was very appropriately carried to the atrium of the Wilson School Building. Uh, Dodds was the first uh, head of the Wilson School, the School of Public and International Affairs, and did a gigantic amount of work uh, in the 30s to get that up and running. Um, but it, the oh, far above the issue of um, of reconsidering naming uh, those particular things and bringing in Arthur Lewis and Toni Morrison 
two great and legendary Princetonians um, into the symbolic mix is the idea uh, that those kinds of naming decisions really are going to have a much more strategic uh, direction from here on in. There are committees now that will consider those things. Uh, I've written about uh, when you approach donors to build uh, new facilities or do new stuff. It's not a bad idea if you have a few appropriate names that might be used for them to throw those out. There's nothing that says a donor's got to name a building after himself. And most of these people are uh, self-confident enough that they don't necessarily have to. Um, I think that's a very good thing to keep in mind and heretofore has not been looked at nearly enough at Princeton. And as you mentioned, you know, that when we were speaking before the podcast, that there are all sorts of committees for all sorts of things, uh, including things like honorary degrees and having a, a standing committee for the naming of buildings sounds like a, a great idea to continue. It's a wonder well, why in retrospect, there to begin. In retrospect, you'll, learn, you'll look back and you say, well, why didn't we have one? Yeah. We've got one now, right? And, and the answer is, well, you, nobody brought it up. Right. Um, another sort of almost news item, I, I think, from this year. It's not quite there yet, but the gathering momentum for changes to the academic calendar, which could move Princeton's uh, fall semester exams to December. So stay tuned on that one. Um, but the university is always changing in, in terms of... Um, academic emphasis and, and the, the sorts of uh, buildings that, that follow when, when these types of things happen. And, and that, I think, is apparent in the planning for changes to the uh, engineering school and, and also to environmental sciences. Uh, that, that seems to be a big item on the horizon, uh, recently uh, featured in PAW. Well, and you saw the um, thanks to our good friends in the graphics department, you saw the footprint, which is gigantic, down along Faculty Road of the prospective area of new engineering and environmental facilities. Uh, the inclusion of environmental stuff in there is fascinating because, of course, the new Andlinger Center just opened, essentially, a couple years ago. And, uh, and I think the implication is that it's busting at the seams right now. Um, what, what I w want to take away from that is the global nature of it and the fact that especially on the environmental side, but all of the engineering stuff involved in it, that again, we're looking very, very outward and very, very far. Uh, in emphasizing that, um, along with a, a new undergraduate college. And I think it ties in directly with uh, Chris Eisgruber's uh, statements uh, on immigration, um, on undocumented students, and in the huge uh, contribution that international students and faculty 
um, have made uh, to Princeton. Um, I wrote on both of those over this year, as a matter of fact, and I think uh, those have just become more pressing and more current. Um, the uh, the engineering and environmental imperative um, certainly emphasizes that, and I think the the other thing it obviously emphasizes is one huge capital campaign here, probably sooner rather than later, because facilities of that type generally aren't inexpensive, and in terms of um, massive projects like that um, are stuff that they have to enlist Brett to help out with. Hardly. Uh, well, I think we've covered some of the, the major stories that uh, that we wanted to highlight. I, I would just mention one more of my favorites. Uh, F. Duncan Haldane was awarded the Nobel Prize in physics early in the morning of October 4th. Well, he, he, he was notified that he was uh, one of the recipients of the Nobel Prize. And then, of course, went to work and taught his... Uh, 11.30 graduate seminar before heading off to a press conference. So that's, uh, you know, we get that type of news every few years. Uh, Princeton is very fortunate to have such amazing faculty, but uh, you never want to take those stories for granted. It's, it's really uh, remarkable when you, when you hear about the um, extraordinary contributions that, that the faculty are making and, and being recognized for. So... Uh, it's also it's also quite notable when you see that, and when you watch those conferences. For some reason, the the Princeton folks are always quite verbal, uh, certainly very much with us, and uh, and extremely well integrated into the into the community. I I like to think that some of the stereotypes, uh, especially the mad scientist stereotypes are sort of short-circuited by some of the Princeton folks because um, Haldane and uh, a number of the recent Princeton Nobel winners have been just downright nice folks who, um, who do great jobs with their undergraduate and graduate students um, and are big contributors to the community. Uh, Angus Deaton is another great example of that. Um, Kahneman, uh, you go on and on and on. Not to mention, of course, um, the again the magnificent Tony Morrison. Uh, so it's it's always great to see. And uh, uh, Brett's absolutely right. You never want to take these things for granted. Um. Well, there will, I'm sure, be lots of interesting stories in the year to come. Uh, Greg, I want to wish you a very happy summer break. Enjoy it. And the same on yours, big guy. And Greg's column, uh, Rally Around the Cannon, of course, continues online and and will continue in the coming uh, year. We're going to take some time off from going backstory. Uh, We will be back with some, hopefully, some history specials uh in the coming year we'll also continue the paw tracks oral history podcast we recorded a a new batch of those interviews at reunions and we'll be doing some more uh podcast q a's online with uh authors uh featuring um 
our books editor, uh, Carrie Compton, and, and some uh, hopefully fact- faculty as well uh, speaking about their work. Uh, so stay tuned for all of that great stuff. You can find information about it on the PAW website and in the pages of PAW. Make sure to use that SPF 50. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs>